Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here today on Agriculture of America AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Find your nearest Cenex online at Cenex.com. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great show lined up for you here today. Coming up here in just a second, we're going to talk with Jenny Lester Moffitt, USDA Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs. Coming up at segment two, we're going to have a conversation with Carson Jorgensen about the Protect American Lamb Project. He is a uh, sheep rancher in Utah, and he works a bit with RCAF USA, and that's who is uh, helping uh, behind the scenes with this project. We're going to learn more about it coming up in segment two. In segment three, we'll have a conversation with Rachel Snyderman, Director of Economic Policy with the Bipartisan Policy Center. And then we'll wrap up the show here today with a conversation with Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith from Mississippi. So looking forward to all of that coming up here on today's AOA. First up, though, joining us on the program, USDA Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs, Jenny Lester Moffitt is with us here today. And Jenny, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us today. Hope you're doing well. Thank you. It's great to join you, Jesse. Well, we're mainly talking today about the Transition to Organic Partnership Program, one year of the uh, top program from USDA, A Promising Future Ahead. Can you just give us uh, a background, let folks know a little bit more about what exactly is TOP? Yeah, so the Transition to Organic Partnership Program, otherwise known as TOP, is part of USDA's Organic Transition Initiative. So this was an initiative that Secretary Vilsack announced in the summer of 2021, it's $300 million total of USDA investment in supporting um, growers that are looking to transition to organic or to expand their organic acreage. Um, so it's a voluntary program. It's a program really about um, supporting that transition uh, for producers who are voluntarily interested in, in doing it. Um, the Transition to Organic Partnership Program um, is $100 million of that $300 million. Mm-hmm. And it is an investment in... Um, organizations and mentors, so existing organic farmers that are serving as mentors to new and aspiring organic farmers um, to be able to, to support the transition process. So there are many different things that a producer needs to do to transition to organic. First and foremost is transition their production practice, um, which can be challenging. And just like any farmer, as they're looking at um, making changes to their production practice, they go to Uh, folks like Cooperative Extension, or they'll go to their state conservation or their county conservation office. They'll go to organizations, um, you know, commodity organizations and other organizations to, to, you know, to learn new practices, to go to field days, those sorts of things. So that's what this is investing in. So it's organic-specific field days, organic-specific technical assistance, um, and then also the mentorship. Because I know as someone who um, ran my family's farming operation with my dad, we went to and learned a lot from farmers in our in our community, in our region. Um, and so that is a really important part of it as well. Um, mm-hmm. So it's about supporting farmers transitioning to organic. Well, and I know this first year of the program, the top program, reaching a lot of folks, well over 10,000. Can you give us uh, some of the first year highlights of the top program? 
Yeah, absolutely, Jesse. As you said, right, this is um, there's a lot of a lot of big numbers, um, but key to this is that this is locally led solution. These are local organizations, so we've partnered with over 180 organizations across the country that are bundled into what we call six six regions around the country, and those 180 organizations, those partners that we have, um, have done over. 11,000 have reached over 11,000 people through 165 separate events around the United States. So those are everything from field days um, to outreach activities, to webinars, um, to community building, to, of course, the mentor and farmer to farmer interaction that is so important. Um, And they've done things like hosted a field day on on financial cultural barriers to transitioning to organic or a webinar on financial resources available for farmers transitioning to organic funding opportunities where are new markets um, field days on on organic practices like cover crop and um, and integrated pest management mm-hmm. All of these different aspects, um, I think what's really neat is just that that it's really locally based, right? So, so what's happening in Montana, and I was I was able to meet with some Montana producers about how they're running the program, is very different than how they're running it in Florida or Georgia, um, because the farmers are different, the the crops are different, and um, and and the culture and the practices are different as well. Yeah, very, very true. Well, and with the top program as we enter year two and beyond and seeing more folks get involved with uh, organic production here across the country, it's really great just to see all of this work kind of come to fruition underneath the uh, organic partnership program uh, here, Jenny. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I think for growers that are looking to become, um, be part of the, or, the organic transition, the top program, mm-hmm. they can go to organictransition.org and, um, and either, you know, be able to sign up to serve as a mentor if they're already organic farmers or if they're interested in, um, in just learning how to go to organic, making even the decision on whether or not to even, you know, pursue that. Um, they can go to organictransition.org get connected with a local organization and and start to, to address that. There's lots of just different decisions that a farmer makes um, when they're looking at different market opportunities and, um, and organic is, is an important part. As you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, the work of Secretary Vilsack and the work we're doing right now at USDA is really about building more new and better markets for producers. It's about um, investing in value-add opportunities, whether that is organic as, as an, a value-add opportunity, whether that is in climate-smart commodities and getting revenue streams for um, for the, the practices that a farmer might have that benefit the climate or water quality or all these other different things, um, or if it's local and regional processing capacity, selling directly into farmer's markets, selling directly to hospitals, selling directly to schools, um, and building more processing capacity and also um, just closing that link in the food supply chain a little bit more, shortening that the the length of time that it gets from farm to to the table. Um, so a bunch of different things that we're doing, and this is a really important part of that. Well, Jenny, before we let you go, you mentioned that website. Can you give it uh, to us here one more time so folks can check it out if they're interested in more information? Yeah, organictransition.org, and they can learn and get resources on the top program as well as the Organic Transition Initiative as a whole. All right. Once again, organictransition.org. We've been talking with Jenny Lester Moffitt, USDA Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs. Jenny, 
Thanks so much for joining us here on Agriculture of America today. And have yourself a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you again soon. Great. Thank you, Jesse. Really appreciate her time. Jenny Lester Moffitt, USDA Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs, joining us here today on AOA. All right, coming up next, we're going to learn more about the Protect American Lamb Project. It's uh, running underneath the RCAF USA Sheep Committee, and it's really looking at uh, lamb imports and the impact it's having on the American sheep industry. We're going to talk with Carson Jorgensen. He is working on this project underneath RCAF. He is our guest next here on AOA, Agriculture of America, powered by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Back with more on the way right after this. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge, but with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the Foundation foundation Fighting Blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Well, right now, we want to have a conversation about the American sheep industry and specifically looking at lamb imports and why folks want to protect American lamb. Uh, the Protect American Lamb Project is uh, running under the uh, RCAF USA Sheep Committee. And here to join us to tell us more and have a conversation, Carson Jorgensen is with us, a sixth-generation American sheep rancher who uh, does some work with RCAF and is working on this project, Protect American Lamb. Carson, thanks so much for joining us today. Hope you're doing well. No, thanks for having me, buddy. Sure appreciate you bringing me on. So Protect American Lamb. I know this is a project underneath the RCAF's Sheep Committee. Before we really dive into things, can you tell us a little bit about just what this project is all about? Sure. No. So about six months ago, this was really a producer-driven thing. And about six months ago, um, a group of us got together. We've been talking about doing something about imports for quite some time because it's been a real bane to the American sheep industry for quite a while. And, and a little while ago, uh, back in March, we got together and, and we said, you know, what do we do? And a couple of us, you know, reached out to Bill Bullard and said, you know, we we are a bunch of producers and we kind of have an idea of where we need to go, but we really need a cohesive effort to bring this together. And so we all got together and really started sitting down. We were having weekly meetings and really putting this on paper to what it is we need, what is the problem and how can we solve it? And this is what we came up with. That 30 page petition that, that you've seen is really the basis of it. And the 3rd of August, we sent that to the U.S. Trade Ambassador, Catherine Tai, um, calling for an investigation, you know, petitioning them to look into it. And we knew that, you know, this was kind of a layman's petition, just laying it out in front of them. But we knew that the avenue beyond that was to go to Congress and, and to ask Congress to request that investigation. Because as of right now, 74 percent of the lamb consumed in the United States comes from a different country. They have captured all but 26 percent is what American producers feel. And the hard part about that is um, consumption of lamb is actually on the rise. Uh, but yet our U.S. sheep numbers are at an all time low. In the 19th, just prior to World War II, there were 49 million sheep in the United States. Now there's less than five. And so we see an ever increasing decline in the sheep numbers, yet consumption's on its way up. But every inch of that's being filled by imports. Um, it is making it impossible for the American producers to keep up, and we're losing them right and left. It's very interesting when you really look at these numbers and, and to your points, I mean, 74% originating from foreign soil. And I think that speaks to the the broader concerns about imports of any sort of animal protein into the U.S. here, Carson. It's, it's an issue that a lot of folks are, are concerned about and rightfully so. 
And they should be. I mean, uh, the protein industry, you look at uh, shrimp, you look at lamb, you look at beef, all of it. It's it's all under attack. And you watch the imports are increasing on every sector. The American shrimp industry is in big trouble, almost as bad as the lamb industry. Um, but, but what are we doing as a nation? Why are we outsourcing all of our food? As of 2019, as you well know, we became a net importer of agricultural products. What is a worse idea than outsourcing your food supply to people who can and may shut it off at some point. Um, the, the fact that we have let it last this far is, is an extremely dangerous point in America. And we've been having conversations with high-level officials in government about this, that, that this cannot continue, that, that we are basically giving our means of survival to another country. And it's a, absolutely a national security issue, not to mention we're losing the backbone of our country at the same time. With the case of the sheep industry here, if we continue to see more imports and uh, the industry here in the U.S. continue to shrink, uh, I would have to, I guess, I would have to assume that with continued upticks and imports, that's not providing a whole lot of incentive for sheep ranchers here in the U.S. to necessarily expand their herds no there is no growth and, and that's a problem we want to drive the price down we want to become more efficient that, that's great but we have to be able to produce more and, and the answer to these costs is production to increase production but there is no way for any of us to grow there's no i've, I've yet to see anybody in the past 20 years that it wants to expand their herd and to grow their herd because there's just no financial incentive to do that and so it, it doesn't happen so what we're trying to do is, is we're trying to work with congress to put uh, tariff rate quotas in which says you know what we know how much the american industry can produce and we need to use that up before we start bringing in other stuff and, and you guys are more than welcome to import into our country um, you can import X amount, but once you hit X amount, then the tariffs kick in, which then gives the American lamb the inside track to be able to fill that gap. But as long as the it is completely free trade, we run a $2.2 billion trade deficit to Australia. Australia has 64 million sheep in 2020. Today, they have 78 million sheep. Their, their sheep industry has increased three times what our entire industry is in the space of three years. They are expanding, they are growing, and every bit of that is flowing out of their country. And they are absolutely the biggest supplier of lamb. And I don't hold anything against their producers. This is the big multinational corporations, the big packers that are pitting all of us against each other, and they're using all of us to make money. And, and the other thing that we I think is important to note about trade, and nobody often talks about it, and that's the exchange rate. Right now, the reason why we can lose to them so badly is because the exchange rate, the American dollar and the American market is still the strongest there is. Mm -hmm. And so we have no incentive to export, but they have every incentive to import. They, they're right now, I think it's a dollar fifty Australian to an American dollar. So they can take one dollar here and turn it into a dollar fifty down there. They can sell it what would be a loss down there and still be making money up here. And that's how they continue to get it into our country for cheaper than what we can produce. And so until we start adjusting that, American ag is going to struggle. And you're going to see this in every sector, not just the lamb industry. Carson, for folks who want to be engaged, stay involved, learn more about this situation surrounding the American you know, sheep industry and lamb and, and everything going on, what would you say to them? What's going to be the best way for folks to 
get involved and to learn more? Yeah, so absolutely. As far as this initiative goes, you can go to protectamericanlamb.com and, and it will pull up, you know, the petition and what we're doing. And for those sheep producers out there, there's a form on there you can fill out. It, it, it's completely internal, but we're tracking all, all the sheep producers across the country, where you're from, how many sheep you have and what kind of operation you are. That's helping us to prove to Congress that, that we know. And currently there is a um, letter circulating Congress that is calling on the trade ambassador to actually look into this and, and to do an investigation of whether or not uh, imports are causing substantial damage. So anybody that wants to go to protectamericanlamb.com, you can really look at what's going on. You can contact your representatives and tell them to sign on to that because all we're doing is in, initiating this investigation. But the numbers are proving and the trends show that this is absolutely a problem and the imports continue to decimate the American sheep industry. And if we don't do something about it, yeah, sure, it's a sheep industry. We're a lot smaller than the beef industry. But that being said, I believe that the sheep industry is canary in the coal mine in this situation that what's happening to the sheep industry now is where the cattle industry will be in 20 years and so i believe it's very important for the cattle industry to take a, a real strong stance on this to make sure that we set precedent so that in 20 years the cattle industry has a leg to stand on and that they never get where we have gotten well learn more about protect american lamb and the project they have going on under rcaf uh, and the RCAF USA Sheep Committee, again, protectamericanlamb.com. Carson, before we let you go, any final thoughts uh, you would share with us or anything you would reiterate to folks today? You know, um, I just want to reiterate to everyone that agriculture is the backbone of America, and it's ag that has built this, and it, it really was the sheep industry that built the West, that bought many of the big ranches out here in the West, and, and that consumption for American goods is going to continue to go up, and and hopefully as we stand up and we fight for what we believe and we fight for our industries, that, that we'll be able to and, and get involved. That is always the biggest thing I can say. I'm the former chairman of the Utah Republican Party. And the reason why I got involved in politics was for one reason, and that was to protect agriculture because it's all become political, unfortunately, and the big problems that affect all of our industries have become political. So people need to get involved. People need to, you know, reach out to their their people to run for office, to do whatever it takes to stand up because unfortunately we've gotten to the point now where we can no longer sit back and let it go. We have to be proactive in every one of our industries to make sure that it's there for our children and their children's children. Again, protectamericanlamb.com to learn more. Carson Jorgensen, appreciate the time and the thoughts. Thanks for joining us here on Agriculture of America today and we look forward to having a conversation again in the future. You bet, Jesse. Thanks for having me, my friend. All right, coming up next here on AOA, powered by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. We'll have a conversation with Rachel Snyderman, Director of Economic Policy for the Bipartisan Policy Center. That's coming up next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan, and it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. 
Are you curious about biologicals for stronger crop health? You're not alone. At Terramax, they've seen more farmers just like you choosing to apply biologicals with increasing success. For more than 25 years, they've been harnessing the power of microbial inoculants to strengthen roots, improve soil health, and boost yields acre after acre. If you're ready to get a biological boost, turn to the experts at Terramax. Visit TerramaxAg.com to learn more about what microbial technology can do for your farm. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The wheat complex is starting the morning off soft, while corn is firm and soybeans are up sharply. Wheat markets are seeing some of their weakness, taking the lead from the Euronexus Paris milling wheat contract, which is lower for the fourth time in the past five days. Yesterday's strength came from some confusing early reports from Ukraine that the Black Sea loadings had been suspended. That rumor turned out to not be true and was debunked by Ukraine's infrastructure minister. We've learned that a total of four vessels had left Ukraine Black Sea ports with another 23 ships loading. That's in spite of Russian threats. Recent rains in Argentina have also been bearish for wheat, improving that crop from recent dismal estimates, although production is likely to still be down. Recent rains in the U.S. Southern Plains have also certainly pressured wheat, with Kansas City December having scored new contract lows this week and sitting just above the low early today. Now, if there were a positive for wheat, it would be that funds are carrying a dangerously short position of nearly 30,000 contracts in Kansas City and 107,000 contracts in Chicago. That's making those markets ripe for an upward correction. Soybeans are finding some of their strength from concerns about the crop and drought-stricken Argentina. Extremely dry weather throughout much of the growing season curb production in the South American country. Argentina is expected to produce 25 million metric tons of soybeans in 2223. That's down 43.9 million tons from a year earlier. Recent rainfall also likely helped the crop, however, but won't be able to compensate for months of drought. Also giving the beans some upward momentum is continued signs of demand for U.S. supplies. China bought 110,000 metric tons of beans for delivery in the 23-24 marketing year yesterday. And on Wednesday, USDA reported a separate sale of 126,000 metric tons of U.S. beans going to China. Crude oil prices are up a couple of dimes. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. 
Joining us now, Rachel Snyderman, Director of Economic Policy with the Bipartisan Policy Center, as we are going to talk about the economy and the overall fiscal health here in the U.S. and more. And uh, Rachel, first off, thanks for joining us on AOA today. I hope you're doing well. Thanks so much, Jesse. It's great to join you. Well, let's dive in. And, you know, a lot of talk uh, here this year and, and really last a couple of years about inflation and worries about the economy. A lot of folks in rural America and across the country are keeping a close eye on what is happening at the Federal Reserve and much more. And, you know, we look at the, um, the Capitol Hill issues as well with D.C. Now that we have a new House speaker, there's just there's a lot going on. What is your thoughts on just to start kind of the overall state of our, our fiscal health here in the United States. So it's an excellent place to start. And I think that, you know, we're seeing um, the new GDP numbers come out and showing that we have, you know, nearly 5% growth, um, which we haven't seen since the end of 2021. You know, some of these macroeconomic indicators are showing some pretty significant economic strength. And we're seeing, you know, month over month um, inflation finally starting to tick down. But I think that it's important to really parse kind of these, some of these macroeconomic indicators from what we're seeing among households, kind of that microeconomic impact. Um, households still do feel the effects of persistent inflation. And um, you know, we're seeing, of course, the restart of student loan payments. You know, some of these other uh, real household concerns um, that still impact our, our, our pocketbooks. And so I think that as we're looking to kind of to Congress to alleviate some of these, um, you know, some of these economic pains. Um, and it's also kind of important to think about how the economic trajectory, kind of the fiscal outlook in many ways is, we, we might be at kind of a tip of an iceberg. And I think that's where we're really seeing some of the, the dialogue, especially over the past weeks with the, um, the, the drama over the, the re-election of the, of, um, the Speaker of the House mm -hmm. and the, the role that debt reduction and kind of the taming our fiscal outlook will take. So, you know, I think that there is, um, you know, sentiment, the macroeconomic indicators largely positive, but there's, there's certainly more there that meets the eye as we're feeling kind of the ins and outs of our, the economic pressures on our, um, on our wallets. Well, and you think about some of those economic pressures, too. I mean, we're getting towards the end of the year. We got the holidays coming up. We'll have tax season coming up as well. I mean, credit card debt is at uh, at all-time highs. Uh, a lot of folks are, are are racking up those credit card bills to try and, um, you know, live, essentially, in many cases, feed their families and more. And, you know, interest rates up around, you know, 7 8%. I, I know that there's, there's a lot of folks just concerned, and especially rural America, farmers and ranchers. I mean, the cost of doing business is just that much higher. So to your points, I mean, what could be on the horizon here? What could the government potentially do to try and help ease some of the burden on, on our families, uh, you know, and farmers, ranchers, and, and everyone across the country? Yeah, so, you know, I think that the point you make, particularly on interest rates, you know, that's, that's felt across so many different industries and hits us um, as we're making consumption and savings decisions on a daily basis. Um, you know, as we're looking to kind of the, the fiscal solutions, right, I mean, I think that we've seen the Fed take action uh, really month over month um, as, as they've met and discussed to, to, to raise interest rates to kind of curb inflation. But as we're looking ahead to what the policy outcomes will look like, uh, what Congress has 
you know, of, um, at its disposal, which is either you know, the power to tax and the power to spend. You know, that's where a lot of the focus um, in the policymaking world is going to be. Um, you know, we know that there is discussions about potentially a year end tax deal, expanding the child tax credit as a top priority among Democrats, for example, um, matching that with some business tax incentives um, for research and development expensing on the, the which are Republican priorities. But then as we're really looking ahead to even kind of the next year, um, there's going to be another looming tax debate as the Trump tax cuts that were enacted in 2017, which touched nearly every single American taxpayer, will be back on the chopping block for policymakers to debate in 2025. So I think that you know, when we're looking kind of to the solutions that can impact tax season and, and really our financial stability at home, uh, there are some significant deadlines for lawmakers that they're going to need to come to the table on to resolve. Well, and some of those deadlines, I think about, uh, of course, uh, another government shutdown potentially on our hands here in the middle part of November. And with all the House drama and debacle there, three weeks basically wasted. Uh, so now we got to figure out keeping this government open. We got appropriations bills to write. There's a new farm bill that needs to get done, among many other things. And so, you know, we look at some of these issues, plus we have concerns and a lot of folks uh, that want to see aid go to some of our allies that are embroiled in conflict right now. And so we keep seeing the spending on Capitol Hill. And I think that a lot of folks look at it and just they're, they're asking questions of, of why is all this happening? But to your points, a lot of deadlines in front of us and a lot of things that need to get done in a short amount of time here, Rachel. Yes, exactly. And I think that the you know, the government funding deadline of November 17th looms large. Uh, we have been in this situation before when we were at the 11th hour, you know, staring down the barrel of a government shutdown and lawmakers have to decide you know, how to get how to seek how to find resolution. Um, what does make me more optimistic about the current situation is now that we do have Speaker Johnson in power. Um, he has come out and publicly supported a potential continuing resolution through January 15th or April 15th, kind of depending on where in the coming days they'll see his conference um, uh, most aligned to. I think that so that that's optimistic. I'm optimistic to see that rhetoric already coming out of the House of Representatives. Um, you know, what's to be seen is that's going to require some negotiating, as as you well note. Um, there is a uh, supplemental package on um, on the table for additional humanitarian assistance and security assistance to allies mm -hmm. abroad. Um, and that is going to also require a deal with Senate Democrats again. So, um, you know, it's we're certainly early in the discussions, but I am more optimistic this time around, just given the fact that there is a recognition that getting 12 appropriations bills across the finish line by November 17th is probably going to be a pretty tall order. And so um, the fact that we're already talking about a continuing resolution um, through the holiday season, uh, you know, I, I want to maintain that optimism. And, and that's something here at the Bipartisan Policy Center that, um, you know, we'll be working closely on uh, over the coming weeks. Well, and there's talk of a new bipartisan fiscal commission as well. And I wonder if we could see something like that and find common ground in D.C. to try and just look at our overall fiscal health here in the country. I mean, talk about that for us a little bit. Do you think we could find common ground potentially with such a commission? You know, I, again, this is another issue where... I need to remain optimistic because um, at the end of the day, 
our lawmakers, our elected officials work for you know, their, their voters, their constituents, and um, they th these issues matter to our everyday lives and, and our trust in government, frankly. And so I, I do want to be optimistic that there can you know, we can yield some some positive outcomes. I think what will be really important in the coming weeks and months as the discussion about a potential fiscal commission evolves um, is that lawmakers you know, really define the problems that they want to solve and the principles for the policy options um, that they want to achieve. Um, you know, I think that we have seen in the past where these types of fiscal commissions either come in with a set dollar figure for targeted debt reduction or you know some rules that that create it to be that enable um, lawmakers to be put in very difficult situations when it comes down to voting on on their outcomes and just the ideological gaps that we frankly face uh, you know between republicans and democrats if there's an opportunity for really a, a, a set of options for policymakers to, to come together to negotiate in good faith um, that has the support of the executive branch and, and Congress and, and, um, and the public. Uh, you know, that's, that's going to be key to the success of any sort of fiscal commission. Um, you know, folks understand the significance um, of the problem of our, you know, and our the what our fiscal challenge presents, they'll be more engaged and and hold their leaders uh, accountable for ensuring that the policy that they're voting for um, not only you know helps them financially, but their children and the the generations to come. Well, Rachel, uh, we appreciate the thoughts and the time. Before we let you go, anything final you would add or reiterate for folks today? No, I would just say that the news cycle is changing daily. And, uh, you know, Jesse, I always look forward to coming back and joining you uh, to, for the next beat. <laughs> Definitely. Well, no, I agree with you there. We'll have to get you back on the program again soon. And I know folks can learn more as well. Bipartisanpolicy.org. We've been talking with Rachel Snyderman, Director of Economic Policy with the Bipartisan Policy Center in Washington, D.C. Rachel, thanks for joining us on Agriculture of America today. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. You too. Good stuff there with Rachel Snyderman from the Bipartisan Policy Center. One news note before we get to the break, a recent report from Rabobank says the outlook for global fertilizer markets is positive in the coming years. However, there are some challenges and potential risks to monitor the global fertilizer markets recovering with an estimated increase in usage of around 3% this year after a 7% drop in 2022 because of significant market complications. The Rabobank Affordability Index shows a positive outlook for fertilizer purchasing next year with an expected increase of almost 5%. The Farm Input Division at Rabobank says nitrogen growth grew 2% this year, phosphate 3.9%, and potash was up 5%. There is a potential impact from the Israel-Hamas war as Israel is a sizable supplier of phosphate and potash. Israel accounts for about 3% of the world's phosphate exports and 8% of the global potash supply. Currently, there is sufficient availability and alternative supply sources. All right, coming up next here on AOA, brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. We're going to have a conversation with Mississippi Republican Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith. She joins us next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. 
and your intestines to keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Andrew Schultz, an agronomist with CHS, about fall fertilizer strategies. Andrew, what nutrients will likely be in demand this fall and why? The largest demanded products this fall are going to be your phosphorus and potassium sources. The main reason for that is the fact that those two nutrients, they stay very stable in the soil. On top of that, to be honest, time is money. Eight out of 10 years, as we get into higher demand parts of the year, our fertilizer costs start going up. Every day we're not in the field planting, that's costing us money. And mother nature is unpredictable. Why is soil sampling an important part of a nutrient plan? Soil sampling gives us a base. We want to know if we're over or under applying nutrients to try and give that crop the opportunity to yield as much as it's going to. Uh, There's something called the law of minimums. Even though you have an abundant amount of nutrients in the soil, if you're lacking in one of them, your crop's just not going to perform. Soil sampling's helping us figure out and diagnose different problems or why the yields are dragging in certain crops. Well, Andrew, why is it important to follow four R principles, right source, right rate, right place, and right time when applying fertilizer and what technologies can help? For this industry to survive, our farmers need to maximize yields, maximize profits. And to do that, we just got done talking about some soil sampling. We need to figure out what's right, where we're placing it, and how much we're placing it. A couple different technologies we got. My biggest belief is in our boom floaters. When we start looking at accuracy and going across those acres, we're right there. I mean, we're using GPS. We're using a lot of variable rate technologies. If an acre doesn't need nutrients, we're not placing it there. Once again, that's Andrew Schultz, agronomist with CHS, joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. 
So how's harvest? Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge. But with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com slash rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, today's AOA brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Joining us now on the program, Senator from the state of Mississippi, Cindy Hyde-Smith is with us here today. And Senator, thanks so much for joining us on AOA. I hope you're doing well. Oh, we are. And I appreciate any opportunity to promote and uh, advocate for the agriculture world. It's who we are. Well, I thank you for being with us, and I know you're a member on the uh, Senate Ag Committee, and I want to talk Farm Bill and more with you here in just a minute, but I want to start, uh, this caught my eye, a letter to the EPA on uh, their rodenticide restrictions, and I know uh, you, along with many of your Senate colleagues, signed this letter to the EPA. Can you just get us up to speed? What exactly is going on here, and what are you concerned about with these rodenticide restrictions? Well, I'm a former ag commissioner, so this is pretty familiar to me. And uh, the Biden's EPA proposed mitigation measures. It's just horrible, really well for farmers and ranchers. And, uh, you know, more proof that the administration's regulatory regime is just, they're just completely out of hand, Jesse, and uh, putting agriculture in the crosshairs. And, uh, you know, we just felt like we needed to do something about that. And, uh, Rodents are extremely destructive, as you well know, to crops and property, and they carry diseases to people and animals. Uh, I was Saturday out at someone's farm, and, you know, I think of salmonella. They uh, had a turtle out there, and, you know, they were really cute and, you know, fun to play with. But the things you just have to be aware of, E. coli and avian influenza. As Ag Commissioner, the uh, avian influenza really kept me awake at night when mm -hmm. I thought, gosh, if we had something come in. So I'm just very conscious of that and uh, wanted to make sure that we did what we could to emphasize our opposition and something that is uh, very realistic and uh, not hurtful. And it's kind of hard to find a lot of that right now in Washington, D.C. We're playing a lot of defense. I know. It seems like a lot of defense going on. And in terms of what the EPA is looking at here, I know that there's they're trying to protect endangered species, but they, it's kind of walking a fine line between, between protecting endangered species and also making overregulation to where it impacts uh, farmers and ranchers and, and many folks, isn't it? Oh, no doubt. And, you know, it's just the tendency. I just got out of an energy hearing committee and 
It appears just to be the tendency that the Biden's EPA would rather smother producers with red tape and regulations rather than allow them to continue using what they need to use to protect their crops. And, uh, you know, instead of just take a broad brush and brush everything that uh, we're going to come out with these regulations when they really haven't done their due diligence to determine exactly what harm would be and, you know, the reality of is it dangerous or not. But then the... Um, very clear evidence that it would definitely be detrimental because the average family farmer, they can't, you know, reasonably become a state certified applicator or conduct <laughs> carcass searches on their property for two weeks after the application. They need simple access to these um, rodent sites. Well, Senator, I know you are on the uh, Ag Committee there in the Senate. Farm bill, big topic right now. A lot of folks talking about a one-year extension. What are your thoughts? What's the latest you're hearing about getting a new five-year farm bill done? Well, I, um, you know, of course, the 2018 farm bill expired last month. The consequences of the expiration will, you know, varies by programs, but ultimately depends on the duration and we should be okay for now, but I'm ready to get it done. I wish I could tell you that um, it's going to be soon. But, you know, and I do remain hopeful that Congress can either pass a new farm bill soon or some type of extension until the Senate and House Ag Committees can hash out all of their differences. And, uh, you know, I'm just very optimistic, but, you know, I just grow more concerned that the farm bills typically aren't bipartisan, aren't partisan, but the partisanship seems to be creeping its way into the farm bill. So, you know, I'm ready for us to get it done, um, to just reduce the opportunity of intervention of things that we do not need. And, uh, but, and I'm sure you're hearing this as well, Jesse, that we need more farm in the farm bill. The uh, Congressional Budget Office baseline projections for farm bill programs. You know, that ultimately dictates how much funding Congress has to work with in crafting a new bill. But the baseline farm commodity programs, which you and I know are, you know, the heart of what we have to take care of, the conservation and the crop insurance, the backbone of the farm safety net, it still remains quite stagnant. And, you know, I hadn't been here that long, uh, almost six years ago, it's been over five, but I have seen that. And I was so excited when I got here that you know, I could actually work on the farm bill. It was in front of me. I had my hands on it, and I thought, this is awesome. But when you see that um, the baseline funding for nutrition, the food support, I mean, I've watched it skyrocket. Then the nutrition title now accounts for more than 84%, almost 85% of the farm bill baseline, while the other issues that feed the world and feed the masses. You know, it just hasn't grown like that. But um, it's just several circumstances that surrounding this. We're being told that savings from a title of farm bill, we can't use it to offset to enhance improvements to another title of the farm bill. And, you know, that's holding up much needed improvements to the commodity and the conservation in those insurance programs. But that's concerning that when you look around the table in committee meetings, just want people to make good decisions instead of things that we know are not what we definitely need, that just the hardcore basis of the farm bill that will not hinder production, but continue to let the 2% of us that feed the other 90% let us do our jobs. So uh, I, I'm ready to 
get this thing and get it done, but get it done the right way. Well, we thank you for the time today. With that, Senator Cindy Hines-Smith from Mississippi. We'll look forward to having you back on the program again in the future. But for now, thanks so much for joining us today. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we are out of time here today on Agriculture of America AOA, brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. Coming up on our next episode, we'll talk markets with Darren Newsom from Bar Chart, weather with DTN's John Baranek, and a conversation with Greg Haynes, the CEO of the Cattlemen's Beef Board. Thank you for joining us here as always on AOA, Agriculture of America. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you again soon. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan, and it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Turning to biologicals for improved plant nutrition and nitrogen fixing may feel novel to a lot of farmers, but it's a proven method for decades. Nobody knows this better than Terramax, a leading innovator of biological inoculants for more than 25 years. Their strong roots in microbial technology means they know what it takes to deliver stronger roots for crops acre after acre. When you decide to boost your yield with biologicals, turn to Terramax. Then visit TerramaxAg.com to learn more. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.